Yo, what's going on, guys? Welcome. It is episode 31 of MacBook Pro, and this is Macklin Buckler, your host, speaking. Uh, I'm sorry that I haven't really, really been here that often. I've, uh, I've had a lot on my plate recently, but I feel like that has become the theme of this show, is me um, telling you that I have not recorded as often as I would like. Um, I'm looking to change that. This is my final week of full-time employment, and after that, I will be self-employed. I will have my own business. So hopefully, with that will come a bit more flexibility and more time. So I've been writing about a topic recently, and I'm trying to figure out like the right way to express myself. And I thought that maybe talking about it a bit on the podcast would open up my insights and give me a more holistic view of the situation and spark some good ideas. And the the topic that I've been writing about is maturity and whether or not age and maturity are linked, like inextricably linked. Now, the conclusion that I've come to so far, and I have, you know, still a little bit more work to do with fleshing it out, is that when you are a kid, your environment is changed all the time um, for you. Because as you get older, you reach certain milestones and things change no matter uh, whether you want them to or not. So for instance, when you reach a certain age, you have to leave elementary school and go to middle school. When you reach another age, you have to go to high school. When you finish your senior year of high school, as long as you've gotten uh, the credits that, that are required, you have to leave high school. And it feels like that process continues until you graduate from college, if you decide to go. And once you enter the working world, this conveyor belt, so to speak, that you've been on since you were maybe four or five years old, maybe even earlier, if you went to pre-K at three, this conveyor belt just kind of comes to an end. And all of a sudden, you are responsible for your destiny. And so I think... Graduating college puts you into a certain place where you need to develop maturity, but the kind of maturity that you need to develop is not necessarily the same kind of maturity that's required later on in life for, for instance, being a father or being a partner or being a great employee. I think, or even being a business owner, I should say, or an entrepreneur, because there's different kinds of maturity, right? So there's emotional maturity. Uh, specifically with regard to a relationship. There's emotional maturity maturity, uh, on a general level with interpersonal relationships and your ability ability to communicate with strangers and loved ones and and so on and so forth. Uh, 
Um, but then there's also maturity, uh, you know, when it comes to actually having a job and doing the right thing and making certain decisions that are in the long-term best interest of the business and not just your own personal interests. And there's just a ton of different areas that um, one needs to develop maturity in if they are going to be considered a mature adult. Now, I think the reason that we are, as people, uh, maybe I should be more specific, the reason that we as Americans are able to do to uh, develop a certain level of maturity is that I think it's I think it's because our environment changes because when your environment changes it allows you to develop new habits and to have fresh experiences because you are kind of resetting and once you start working though it's a little bit different because you can stay at the same company for 10 or 15 years and maybe you don't really grow all that much outside of work and that can actually have like a huge impact on your ability to mature. And I also think that maturity is something that you need to do yourself consciously. You need to consciously mature. There are certain um, external events that can definitely lead one to becoming mature quicker. Um, for instance, the death of a, a parent where you actually have to step up and parent your siblings, uh, harsh financial circumstances that force you to start working earlier. Um, it could be a number of different events that force you to become mature. But I think to wait until one of those events happens is quite immature. Because essentially you're just hoping that one day you're just going to have a wake-up call and you're going to finally become the person that you want to be. And it's just not, in my mind, um, it's not a, a very viable option. And there's no guarantee that when something external does happen that you would even respond the way that you might anticipate you would. You could just bury your head in the sand and try to hide. So um, I've been just trying to kind of get a grasp on what maturity is and what leads one to develop it. And I think what I've at least written so far is that maturity, I guess maturity is acting your age. And it's quite difficult to put your finger on that um, sentence because it feels it feels like now 30 years old is the new 20 and 30 year olds are just not as as responsible as they were um or sorry i don't know how to phrase this 30 year olds don't have as much expectation put on them today as they did maybe in the 1930s or 40s or 50s or even like up until maybe the 80s we are a little bit more um patient, if you want to say that, patient with uh, having children, more patient with our career development. Uh, it doesn't mean, though, that there's um, that there's less pressure on you. But what I think it means more is that people don't have this expectation that they are going to have certain things by um, 21 anymore, right? So 21 is what 21 was in the 1940s is what like 31 is now. 
And that to me is like a huge reason why you have this um, kind of like, I know that this has existed for a long time, but this stereotype of the guy who lives in his mom's basement, it feels like there are a number of reasons why it it's harder these days to actually feel like an adult. And I know I'm not alone when I say this. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I don't feel like I'm an adult at all. And I know that I am um, because I'm almost 30 and I know that I've lived quite a few lives already to this point. But it's weird if somebody calls me sir. It's weird if someone views me as as a man. And I think so much of maturity is about self-identification and realizing that the world does not give you anything. The world does not give you respect. The world does not give you power or money or anything like that. I mean, there are circumstances, of course, where somebody inherits, but the world does not give you anything really. And it's up to you to kind of take the things that you want. And when it comes to maturity, I think it's no different because I think maturity is something that like a skill, it's something that you learn through reflection and through hard work and maybe most importantly, intention. So really wanting to become a more mature adult. And as I mentioned, maturity can apply to a whole host of different uh, situations. And if you think about maturity in terms of somebody who uh, wants to focus on their career, like there's a spectrum. So there are people who are on one side of the spectrum where They are so immature about their career that they are not doing the things that are necessary at all to achieve what they, what they intend to achieve. And we all know that there is no one definition of success. So I'm not suggesting that if you don't have the same definition of success that I have, that you are immature. But I think what's important is to understand like what language someone is using and then what action that person is taking toward that end. So if someone talks about wanting to become extremely wealthy and have their own business, but they are not doing anything to get closer to that goal, in fact, they might even be sabotaging themselves all the time, then you could say that that person's immature, or that's a reflection of them being immature, because they are clearly not doing what's necessary for them to achieve what they say they want to achieve. And with relationships, that's another one that's pretty easy. So if you think about somebody who's in a relationship, um, they say that they want to be happy. They say that they want um, to be a good boyfriend or girlfriend or partner or whatever. And then kind of do or kind of act in a way that sabotages the chances of them having a successful relationship. Maybe they, you know, they want to be happy. They want to be with the right person, but instead of working on themselves and trying to become a better version of themselves to attract the version of the person that they are looking for, 
they just do the same thing that they've been doing since they were 17 or since they were 14 or since whatever. Maybe they just like spend all their money going out and looking for um, superficial relationships. Um, They don't try to, uh, they don't try to educate themselves through reading, through um, taking classes online, uh, through, you know, their own self-experience and reflecting on how their day was or how their week was and trying to learn lessons that way, meeting interesting people and having conversations with them. They don't do any of that. Instead, they just do the same thing over and over again. And they just expect that somehow things are going to change for them without them having to do anything. And that's, that's a different kind of um, immaturity. And I guess the reason um, that this has been on my mind so much recently is that I've been thinking, like, how do I change my perception of myself? Because in an earlier time, like the 1940s, it's not difficult to understand why a man had to grow up, like had to had to mature, was kind of forced to mature to a certain level. And it's not to say that every single person did, right? I know that there are still people that are in their 80s right now that are immature. That's It's not to say that. But um, if you think about like the average person, and this is very much a stereotype and I'm generalizing, but as a 30-year-old, you are most likely not going to be expected to have a full family, to have, you know, your entire career figured out, to be completely out of student loan debt, and to have a mortgage on a house. It's not an expectation. It might be a desire for a lot of people because that's still very much part of like the American dream, but it's not really expected. If you think about what it was like in the 1960s, you think about how many women probably had kids when they were between the ages of 18 and 24, and you look at that same age range now, it's probably like night and day. I'm, I'm just guessing. I don't know. I mean, I know that there's a population crisis happening in the United States and also just in the entire world um, for different reasons. I know China has their population problem um, uh, as a direct result of the one-child policy but that there are uh, population crises happening everywhere, or not everywhere, but all over the place. And I guess there were, there are always going to be people that are immature. There are always going to be people that are more mature than their age. But how do we push the average? Like, how do we get more men and women into this world? Because there are already people that are in their uh, early 20s, mid 20s, early 30s, mid 30s, whatever, who don't behave like their age. And it's not necessarily like a bad thing, but I do believe that there's a lot of value in people becoming a little bit more mature with how they operate because it's better for them to make more rational, reasonable decisions. Maybe I'm not one to speak. I do a lot of very irrational things. But I I can understand why it's important that more people um, have a feeling of purpose. And I think that that's 
kind of what it comes down to is like maturity was was probably at one point very closely tied to one's purpose. So becoming a parent at 18 and forcing yourself to be responsible because you are responsible for a child's life might have just like kickstarted a part of your brain that's like, okay, there's no going back now. Um, and the same goes for being drafted into a previous war or living in a wartime economy where, um, especially like living in like the great depression and living during like the early 1940s, like as the United States was entering the war, world war two, I should say, um, you know, these external events put a lot of pressure on people to change very quickly. And now that we live in a world where in, at least in the United States, there really is, there is no draft. Um, there is no real, um, catalyst, I guess you can say, like overarching catalyst that would force people to be a certain way, to be mature, I should say. Uh, It kind of just feels like you just flounder until you're in your mid-30s and then eventually maybe you figure it out. Um, But I would be really curious to know, like, how can you become more mature quicker? And so that's kind of what I've been writing about recently and just trying to figure out a way to distill it in a very easy to understand and also kind of comprehensive way. Um, I guess like another thing that I've noticed is like, since I've been in, in this relationship, I've been hanging out now a lot with my girlfriend's daughter and her daughter is seven. And I just feel like such a strong sense of, um, purpose, like just having that dynamic in general, because children are super important like their development is so important to all of society. And when I'm hanging out with her daughter, in the back of my mind, I'm literally just thinking, do not fuck this up. Do not do the same shit. Do not say the same shit. Don't, um, yeah, just don't corrupt this small child that like does not know anything about the world really except their own limited experience very limited experience Um, but I do still find that it's like almost effortless to be around her and to have these kinds of like authentic interactions with her Um, because just in general like I do tend to be very open about the things that I say and I do but I obviously understand because I work in sales when something is okay and when something is not okay to say so I I find that it's actually very relaxing to be with her and with my girlfriend and to just like kind of have those, um, those kinds of like fun, silly interactions without taking things too seriously. But obviously there is a uh, boundary, you know, and I can kind of understand, uh, why someone like my grandma, for instance, who had, I think she had my mom when she was 18, why if I look at photos of her from the 1960s as she's raising my mom, it's very obvious that she was already extremely mature. There are anecdotes that she shared with me, which paint a little bit more context. She had to take care of her mom when her, when she was in um, high school, she had to drop out of high school to take care of her mom to help her dad around the house because I think my great grandma 
at the time was going through um, a very, very strong grieving process because she lost her mom. And I'm pretty sure she had um, a lot of mental health issues at that time uh, as she was coping. And as she got older, she got much better and, and recovered. But it forced my grandma at that time to drop out of high school and to um, assume her mother's role in the family. And my grandma is one of the most responsible people I've ever met. She's just the kind of person that you can call her day and night in times of crisis. And if you want to ever feel like everything is going to be okay, she'll tell you it will be. And you know that she will support you. And she's extremely reliable. And I think that's kind of one of the the main benefits that I that I associate with being mature is that people trust you to get things done and you can trust in yourself that you will do them. And we all need someone to support us from time to time. So I'm sure a lot of pressure falls onto her and that it's not always easy for her to get that support from others. But I do believe that it's a, a very stoic mindset to have, to be someone who's extremely dependable and um, steady in times of unrest so yeah, um, that was kind of just like what I was thinking about, you know, just putting, I guess, a little bit more context and writing about. And I do wonder what the world is going to look like in 30 years from now when I'm raising my own kids. I mean, not raising them anymore, hopefully, but um, watching them maybe have their own families and seeing how they think and how they develop because there are so many technologies right now that are on the horizon that have the potential to change the very fabric of our families and to make life as we know it seem very foreign and alien to future generations. One of the things that I've been thinking about is AR and its ability to change the way that people interact with one another and also change the way that our brains perceive reality. Because I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but um, Apple is releasing their own augmented reality glasses. And it's super weird because just like Google Glass, it overlays um, augmented reality onto reality. So that's what augmented reality is, right? And uh, it makes it just seem like regular reality is quite dull. And I guess that's what worries me is that maybe we might reach a stage in the near future where just walking around without the glasses on somehow seems less stimulating and less exciting. Kind of like when we go outside without our phones and we just feel really bored and kind of like, what do we do now? But I think it's gonna be that effect times like 100 because I think we're going to miss having a heads up display where you can see notifications in specific corners of the screen, but the screen is obviously your field of view, your field of vision. Maybe you are used to having your message notifications on the top right corner of your field of vision. And now when you're walking around without your Apple glasses on, you're like, where's my notifications? Oh fuck, I don't have my glasses on. And it just might feel strange or in the worst case, it might just not feel good anymore. And so I, I wonder what that'll be like. I also wonder if families are going to eat dinner with their headsets on, right? Because there could be really useful information for them to um, 
analyze while they're, or to, to, to consume, I should say, while they're eating. For instance, let's say that you use a food tracking app and, uh, and you're just trying to be a little bit more cautious of your calories and you're wearing your AR headset and then the food is being scanned and indexed and you can see the number of calories and then you can just click or whatever you signal it with your eyes that, that you're going to track that meal and then you eat it. It could be other things where like you're checking your email at the table I've even heard of, uh, I think Mark Zuckerberg said that he envisions a world where like you would be able to read text messages and respond to them without other people even realizing it. Maybe it was emails, yeah, without other people even realizing it. And that worries me just a bit. I mean, it worries me a lot because I know how difficult it is already to focus when there are so many different apps on your computer and on your phone. And to even walk to the bathroom to bring your phone, which is something I do quite a bit. Um, it's just not great, right? Like you bring your phone where, wherever you go. And then when you go to those places without your phone, somehow it just feels like it's like you're depriving yourself of something better. And that's the thing about life is like, there really is nothing better than, I mean, this is my opinion, right? So I'm not saying that this is, uh, a universal truth. I'm not trying to pass it off like that, but to me, there is nothing more fulfilling than just living your life the way that ancient humans live their lives as closely to like how an ancient Greek person, like an, uh, an ancient Roman or an ancient Greek person lived their life under stoic principles as possible. I'm not saying that every aspect of it was perfect, but I'm saying, I think being as close to our human nature as we can can be very rewarding and very fulfilling. And when we start to use technology to substitute for things that are part of our nature, like communication and um, validation, I think it just creates, it can create a lot of problems. It's kind of the equivalent of eating candy instead of fruit like you can probably make the argument that um, strawberry gummies taste like strawberry you can definitely make that argument Um, but your body knows like you can't defy you can't defy physical reality in that way you can't eat strawberry gummies and then convince your stomach that it was a real strawberry And I think that that's something that's going to probably happen. We've already seen that happen a lot with social media where people are getting validation from others online. And while it can definitely feel good, it's not the same as having validation from your small social circle who know you and care about you and can give real feedback to you because they have the information to do so. They, they know the context. It's like almost as close to you giving yourself validation, right? But when it's a random stranger online telling you that you look beautiful or that you're funny or that you're this or you're that, not that anybody ever says that to me. I don't have Instagram, so, you know, nobody's DMing me and telling me that I'm beautiful. Although I did have someone on LinkedIn, like a, a girl today on LinkedIn, try to get me to message her on WhatsApp. I was like, yeah, block. 
but she didn't she didn't say that I was pretty. I think that was going to be the next message, I hope. But anyway, um yeah, it's just kind of a carbon uh carbon copy, not even a carbon copy. It's more like a a, a cheap substitute um for the kinds of emotions that as human beings we have been wired to feel for centuries. I mean, not even centuries, but tens of thousands of years, millions of years. And now we just get it on our newsfeed or people liking our stuff or commenting or messaging us. Um, all I will say is this, there will not never be a time in the Buckler household where my children are going to be walking around with AR glasses on. I just think there needs to be a separation between technology and, and, and home life. And I know, I know you guys are probably thinking already that um, I probably use my phone when I go to the toilet and you are completely right. I do. But I think leading by example is super important. And so far what I've been trying to do with my girlfriend and her daughter is just not be on my phone. And my girlfriend does a really good job of not being on her phone at all. And it's, uh, it's really inspirational because I've been in relationships with, with women in the past where I've actually felt like my life was being like our life together was somehow cheap, cheap enough to be documented through Instagram stories or Instagram reels, whatever you want to call them. I don't know. Um, and Snapchat and stuff like that, you know, where it's almost like you are constantly getting prepared for the next selfie and getting always have to look good because they want to take a selfie and they want you to be in it so that they can show the world that they are in a happy relationship, but probably just posting it to get back at one of their ex-boyfriends who like broke their heart like a couple of years ago. I don't know, maybe that's cynical, but I really did not enjoy having my life documented in that kind of way. And it's kind of hypocritical because right now I am documenting my life, right? Like I'm putting myself out there for other people to enjoy. But the way that I'm doing it, I would say, I mean, my opinion is that this is a very different way to get yourself out there. It's a less superficial way of sharing yourself with the world. It's kind of similar, I would say, to writing a book, except the difference, obviously, besides this not being something that you would read, the difference is that I think when you write a book, it's it, normally it's very polished because if you have a publisher and an editor, there's going to be people who actually say yes or no to certain aspects of the book. Uh, with the podcast, there's nobody who is telling me what I should or should not say. My grandma and my grandpa have both told me, even though they're divorced and they listen to this separately somehow, um, they've both told me that I need to stop swearing. But other than that, I don't have anybody who's over my shoulder telling me what I should or should not say. And yeah, I guess, you know, there's definitely always going to be ego involved with anything that you share for other people, right? Because we all want validation and to feel like we're special. But I think like in my case, I just am so hyper aware of the fact that my time on this earth is so short and all of our time is so short. I mean, even if I live to be 100 years old, that's nothing in the grand scheme of things. And I just want the time that I have on this earth to be somewhat fulfilling and somewhat meaningful to other people. And that's why I like to explore topics like philosophical topics and also just like topics around psychology and life, like maturity, for instance, because 
to me, there's almost nothing better than improving every single day. And it's not, for me, improving does not have to be just like my physical performance when I run or my, you know, my emotional maturity when I have conversations. It doesn't have to be a checkbox that I, you know, that I uh, fill out, you know, that I put a check in. It doesn't have to be money that's in my bank account. Improving could just literally be a process whereby I am conscious of my behavior the day before and I use the feeling when I, you know, recall how I was the day before, the week before, the year before, how I use that information to become, to just go down a different path somehow, hopefully a better path. So it's the idea of like life getting better, life improving because I'm acting in a more conscious way than if I were just going through mindlessly and, you know, pressing buttons and kind of going on autopilot. And I've noticed that I have been doing that um, quite a bit recently, but that's also kind of beautiful that I've noticed it, even though I might not have stopped the behavior yet. I'm not, I've, I'm at least addressing that it's there. And I think that is part of maturity. It's, uh, it's kind of just going back through your old shit and, trying to figure out like what you still have to work on because you can't be too proud. If you go into, um, if you look back at your life and what you've done over the past like, couple of years and you try to compare it to where you are now and you're too proud, it's very easy to deceive yourself and to think that you are so much like further ahead than you really are or that you've like really overcome more than you have. The other day I found uh, these pages from one of my journals that I had ripped out before I moved to Berlin. I ripped them out so that I could bring them with me because I didn't want to bring the book. Uh, I didn't want to bring the journal. And what was really surprising was that I wrote these um, (laughs) entries four years ago. And I feel like I still have the same kinds of thoughts. And it was such a slap in the face because I was reading these thinking that I would kind of sneer or like, you know, take great pride. Like I would sneer at my old self or take great pride in knowing that I've come so far. And yes, there were changes over the past four years. You know, one of the things that is so satisfying to me is that in 2019, I was trying to figure out how I was going to get to Europe or how I was going to get out of New York in general. So I was looking at jobs in San Francisco, in Seattle, um, tons of different Google offices across the world. And I had set my sights on Germany. Um, this was before I even visited Germany. So I, I obviously feel very satisfied knowing that I've made that dream for myself come true because it's not easy to get out of the United States and into another country for a work visa. Even if you get it approved, it's still moving your entire life from the United States overseas. And that's not easy. Um, But where I didn't really improve is my will, my, my tendency, I should say, to talk about things and not actually do them. That's something that I've struggled with for a really long time. And if you guys know the book, The Art, 
know the war of art there we go by stephen pressfield then you will know what the concept of resistance means in his book i just started listening to it in uh audiobook form i've read the book before in the past but i just thought maybe listening to it in an audiobook would make it a little bit more um how do i put this absorbable absorbable i thought maybe if i just walk around in nature and i listen to it some of the messages will get through a little bit better so anyway yeah um resistance is there everyone has it i definitely suffer from letting resistance win but being aware of it at least at least gives you the chance to change it if you don't know it's there you can just keep doing the same shit and not make any progress at all and then look back at the end of your life as an angry old man or woman and resent the fact that you never did the things you said you were going to do that it seems like things always got away from you somehow and one of the things that i want to do more than almost anything in this world is be a good father it matters so much to me because I grew up without a dad. I mean, I guess I had a, I have a biological father, um, but we didn't, we just didn't talk um, because we left Oklahoma when I was five years old. We moved to New York, and at at that point, you know, I really did not like him. He was not very nice to me or my family, and uh, so many of the lessons that I have learned about being a father have come as a result of thinking about the things that he did and saying, I don't want to make my child feel that way, so I'm going to reverse engineer that behavior or at least be very conscious of that behavior. And I think a problem that exists when you learn how to do something through the absence of that thing or through negating something is that you don't really learn you don't really learn maybe like the the reason why you do the things that you do. You only learn the reason why you don't do the things, why you don't do certain things. So I don't know if that makes sense, but like let's think about like the topic of um, making your child feel seen or making your child feel heard. I don't have a specific example from my father, but I'm just going to say a specific, like an example that maybe somebody might deal with and why using the negative is not necessarily like a reflection of the actual virtue of doing the opposite. So let me try this. Um, making your child feel seen. So going to your child's uh, sporting event. So your, your kid wants you to be in the stands because they want your support and they want you to be proud of them. If you grew up and your parent was never at your games, you know what it feels like to not have them at your game and how shitty it is. But you don't know what it feels like to actually have them at your game, right? And because of that, you don't even, like you're still doing the right thing, but you don't even know why it's important to be at the game. You just know that being not being at the game is really shitty for them. And so I guess like for me, not having had a father, you know, I, I, I understand the things that I should not do, but it might be a little bit harder for me to wrap my mind around the things that I should do. 
like I, I don't want to go into examples but it's pretty easy to understand um some of the things you shouldn't do right like you shouldn't hit your kids you shouldn't yell at your kids you shouldn't uh make promises to your kids that you can't keep you shouldn't treat your spouse like shit in front of your kids or like shit in general obviously um you shouldn't argue in front of your kids like i i just have certain uh principles that i want to bring with me as a parent it's something that's very important to me as like a dad to just be very mindful of how i show up for my kids but something tells me that the full effect of my parenting will not be realized by me until i see my grandchildren because i think this is what's going to happen i'm just making a complete over reaching judgment here i have no idea this is just a guess so my guess is that i'm going to have kids i'm going to be the best father that i can be and do the opposite of in a lot of ways of what my father did now if my kids follow in my footsteps and they do the good they do the things from um the beginning right like they are there at their sporting events they are uh very good at like being patient with the kids and with my grandkids and like being um, just, uh, just what I would consider to be a good father or a good parent, whatever it is, then I think I will finally see in my grandchildren what I was missing myself because I think my children would parent them from the place of, I know how good it feels to have my dad at these events and I want to do the same versus like a place of scarcity, which is like, I know how shitty it feels to not have my dad at the game, so I'm going to be a good dad. Because almost, it almost feels like there's some level of emotional revenge happening when you do things that your dad didn't do as a way of just like showing them like, hey, motherfucker, this is what it looks like to be a good dad. Versus if, you're, if you have grown up with a good father and you are a good father yourself, you're just kind of passing on what it means to be a good father to your children. And that's a little bit different that there's not spite in that. So that's just kind of like what I've been thinking about a lot recently and how to, how to show up um, for my children. And I've also been thinking a lot about like what the role of one's career is, because I'm not somebody who takes my career super, super, super seriously to the point where I'm willing to like miss uh, a child's game or birthday or you know, something really special with them. I'm starting my own company. Um, this is my last week as a full-time employee. And one of the things that I never want to let happen is that my job takes precedence over my family. And I think the only way to allow that, to to enable you to achieve that balance is to, um, from the very beginning, preach and practice those values and those virtues. And one of the advantages that I have as someone starting my own company and it being a services company is that I can choose my own clients and I can choose who I give my time and my energy to. And ideally, I would work with clients that see eye to eye with me and understand why it's important that I give time to my family and do not um, and do not expect me to respond to messages on weekends or after eight o'clock or whatever it is. So that's just like something 
um, that I've been thinking a lot about. And that's like very closely tied to the topic of maturity because yes, you can be very mature with your career and so focused on seeing success. But if it comes at the expense of you having like a beautiful family dynamic where you are not only the, you are not only one of the financial providers, but also a provider of good feelings and positive energy and healing and love and generosity and support, you know, you're really just living one, one-sided, which is immaturity in my mind to be so extreme that you don't actually kind of, um, that you don't actually fulfill the other areas of your life. So yeah, this was a good, a good one for me. I appreciated having this conversation with myself. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting how when you get older, you reach a certain age where you kind of say, okay, I'm this age and from here on out, this is no longer acceptable behavior. Like when I reached 23, I said, I'm not going to be smoking weed anymore. Um, it was really hard for me to stop because I was quite addicted to the routine of it, but I didn't do it again. And I think it's important that you as a person just recognize and accept the fact that you have flaws, but you recognize them. You recognize how they manifest themselves when they come about. And it's not a matter of trying to become perfect. It's really just in my mind, it's a matter of like your, your ship is going Maybe, maybe using a ship is not the best um, idea given the recent event with the submarine. Um, if you have like a bucket with holes in it, oh fuck, that also kind of sounds like a submarine. But anyway, if you have a bucket with holes in it and the water is just leaking out of the bucket, you know, if there's too many holes to focus on them all at once, you're probably going to prioritize the one that is losing the most water. And then you're going to work your way down from there. And I think the same goes for your own behaviors as a person. Like you have certain behaviors that are extremely detrimental to your long-term success. And you have other behaviors that are more of a mere nuisance to you being able to do the things you want to do in the long term. Now, if you're, you know, spending money, like my, I do this all the time, but spending money that you don't have and acting recklessly financially, that is going to be something that can really shoot you uh, in the foot and make your life a living hell. But if, if it's something like a little bit less severe, like maybe, maybe every couple of weeks you eat a bag of potato chips, but you exercise, you drink a lot of water and you're relatively healthy with everything else that you do. You're not smoking cigarettes. You're not like abusing drugs. You're not going crazy on alcohol. I think the potato chips is something that you know, you can kind of just allow yourself as like a, as like a treat. And as you start to fill the larger holes in the bucket and just, you know, patch them up, then maybe that will be something that you address at one point. But if you're going after, after the potato chips and you're not addressing the problem of, of spending money, then actually what you might not even realize is happening is that you spending money you don't have is causing you stress, which is causing you to eat every couple of weeks, like things that you don't necessarily agree with. And so it is actually an underlying fundamental problem that 
with the proper mindset you could address and you could alter, you could solve. So yeah, maybe that one was more for me than it was for you guys. I destroyed a bag of chips yesterday. It was so good. Holy shit. It was delicious. Um, but I also ran 22 miles yesterday. So that was pretty sick. A little humble, a little humble brag there. I'm pretty sure my running coach wants to punish me because he's, uh, he's increasing my running every single week. It's part, it's like normal, you know, to have in your training plan, but he's, he's like, all right, Hey, you have your race in six weeks. So this weekend, he was talking about last weekend, it'll be 22 miles. Then the next weekend it'll be 24, then 26, then 28, then 30. I think 32 might be the max before the race. And then I have, uh, a week off, I think like a, a lower week. And then I have my hundred miler and, uh, yeah, I think I'm being, uh, given, given, a, a rough punishment for <laughs> asking stupid questions on our coaching calls. I don't know, but I, I really do hope that, uh, that this episode specifically gave you some level of, of, of pause that it forced you to think a little bit more about your own life and how you're showing up and whether or not given your current actions that you're repeating regularly, you're going to reach the place that you want to be. Because I think it's very easy to live on autopilot. We all do it. But when you actually take a step back and you start living more consciously, it's, it's confounding how much we do that goes directly against our own beliefs and values and virtues just because it's easy, easy behavior. So anyway, I'm going to jump off for today, guys. Thank you so much for joining me on this amazing journey that we are on together. And uh, let's catch each other in the next episode. I'm going to do some thinking about what the next episode will be about. But as usual, I'll just let it come straight off the dome. And uh Until then, I wish you all the success and a little bit more patience and acceptance for yourselves and looking forward to hearing from you. So feel free to reach out to me directly. If we're friends, if we're, you know, if we know each other, hit me up. If we don't know each other, you can just add me on LinkedIn. It's Macklin Buckler and you can just say hi. All right, guys, I'll talk to you in the next one. Peace.